This week, we're not giving away one. We're giving away two of the shaker bottles. So now it is the first two people to listen to the episode and then give us some type of feedback, whether it be a DM on Twitter, whether it be an actual shout-out on Twitter, something like that. I have these shaker bottles. They are the black. They have the white socks emblem on them. I'd go and shake one, but you wouldn't be able to see it. You'd just hear a spring bouncing. They are they're decent shaker bottles. The thing I like about them is the spring is not the little ball that just rolls around in the cup. These have the rod in the middle, and the spring is on there. So mm-hmm. it kind of keeps things – I feel like it breaks things up a little bit better that way, actually. So I've liked them. The mouth on them is a little bit small for me, but – I do a podcast because I have a big mouth, so that's just a me problem. Anybody that listens to the episode... It's a you problem. That is a me problem. Anyone that listens to the episode is eligible to win. All you have to do is finish listening to the episode, give us some feedback, and I will get your information from you, and we'll get you one of those shaker bottles. First two listeners, it's going to be hot. Welcome to the Misplaced Socks podcast. In this series, Nate and Matt, two White Sox loving brothers, give their opinions, thoughts, and break down the week that was and the week that will be in White Sox baseball. Here are your hosts, Nate and Matt. Welcome to episode 12 of Misplaced Socks. We're just a couple of guys talking about our favorite sport and our favorite team. I'm Nate. He's Matt. You can connect with us on Twitter. I'm at RealCoachRusty, and he's at MatthewIce03. This week in White Sox baseball, the Sox clashed once again against a couple of division foes, starting out with a series against the Indians and rounding out with a series against the Tigers. Big-time shout-out to Good Guys Talk Back, Nick and Pat, for having Matt on their show last week. Please check them out when you have time. They put on a great show and are great fans, just like all of us. Do you want to talk about uh, how that kind of went last week? Yeah, I, I think that as much as we've talked about it, I, I think shows how great it was to be on there, how honored we were to be asked to come and talk about this thing that we talk about, just you and you and me most of the time, so... Good to connect with other fans and and some people that are kind of set up in this podcasting industry that we have embarked on. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to listen to it because there were a lot of things that it, like they said to us they're just kind of fan and they say in their intros they're fan centric and so we were actually on our way down to my in laws when we were listening to it and all it, it was like. Almost every two minutes, I'd look over at my wife and go, hey, that's that thing I said in our episode. Or I'd go, hey, he's talking about me. I'm the brother. So it was it was a lot of fun to listen to. So, again, thank you to those guys. Um, how's it going, Matt? Well, uh, just on that, it was the most famous I've ever felt. When I was on it, and now you talk about, hey, that's, that's me, that's us. Famous I've ever felt, for sure. Um... Other than that, it's seems to be going well. The Sox, I got, I saw, got kind of getting 
one step up on the all the power rankings that come out on Monday. So they, uh, it's not just a close eye of us fans that notices this team continuing to have success. It's now continued uh, week by week national attention. That's really, really catching everybody's eye. I think. Yeah, I think that's. We're going to start to notice that more, and that's something that's interesting because Liam Hendricks talked about that not last week, but I think it was the week prior, where it see it feels like for every two, three, four steps that the Sox take, they start to gain a little bit of attention, whereas uh, the counterparts on the other side of the city, it sounds like, they put together one game and all of a sudden everybody's uh, at their feet, so... Yeah, it's, it's nice to see the Sox getting more national attention. So, with that being said, let's talk about why they're getting more national attention, and let's look at some series recaps from this last week. I'll get us started looking at the Cleveland series. So on Memorial Day, Monday the 31st, they played Cleveland in Cleveland, and they come out of there with an 8-6 to win in the Game 1 of the doubleheader. Uh, Carlos Rodon starts with a bang, unfortunately not uh, in a good way. Gives up back-to-back jacks to start the game, one of which was a ball that just barely got out. Uh, he does put together a relatively solid inning, or outing, excuse me. Um, not the Rodon we've been used to this season, that's for sure. Uh, six innings pitched, nine hits, five earned runs, eight Ks with a single walk. So the walk numbers continue to be low. That's one thing that with him and Cease, I keep an eye on. And at one walk, he's doing pretty well. Command is still there. Uh, It's, again, given our offense, we can't afford many outings like this, especially as of late. But it's not a bad outing. It's it's not one where we should expect to lose. And we won that game 8-6. So uh, we had a little bit of an outburst to kind of match it. Hoyer comes in and ends up going only for an inning pitched, allows one hit, K's one, gets the W for that. The Sox come back. So another one where Carlos gets the job done for the most part. He, I think he earns the no decision at that point because he didn't pitch his way into being in a position for a win, uh, whereas the other games he pitched himself in a great position to win. And in the last two starts, he got no decision or loss. So, uh, Bummer comes on to finish the game, ends up giving up a run on a walk and a K, but he gets the save, gets the job done. And the the offense puts up eight runs, but looks kind of middling. They batted 207 as a team that game, 14 Ks on five walks. So, your K to walk ratio is a little bit out of whack. You bat a little bit low, but somehow they still manage to put up eight runs. So, um, even when the offense doesn't look great, they still found a way. And in a seven inning game, nonetheless. So, they come back that evening in the nightcap of the doubleheader and they lose three to one in game two. Jimmy Lambert gets the start. Coming out of nowhere, Jimmy Lambert. Uh, no Kopech due to the hamstring, hamstring strain. And they didn't pull up Stever or Reynaldo, which I thought was a little bit telling. Um, having pulled up Stever earlier in the season and having designated Reynaldo for kind of this particular thing, 
I think it says a lot that they continue to not bring him back in. Um, the interesting part is you know that he has starter caliber stuff and they keep him down. They haven't brought him up in these spot starts. So I guess I'm curious and I would have to look at this longer later, but I'm curious as to what the plan is with him. Because originally they sent him to the alternate site as a just-in-case dude, but the just-in-cases have come up now and they haven't just-in-cased him. And if you're looking at potentially needing to unload some of these guys that are performing at least to some degree in the in minors at the trade deadline you kind of want to give them a shot to show what they've got even in like when you have a situation like this which you don't happen hope happens often but when you do you want to give them that chance to prove to other teams that they deserve a spot there they should they they should want them on their team yeah, it's weird. I don't know if they're just being so careful with him because they do envision him as a part of the future. Um, I can't imagine they would because I feel like you and I were both envisioning him as part of the future for way too long, and it's been longer than that even. Um, so, yeah, I he might just be cooked at this point. He, he might be, and for... I'm not going to say a surplus spot, but a spot that we feel like we're doing okay at. I feel like giving him the chance to come up and knowing that we're a team that needs to make a move for an outfield bat or a reliever, I would think we would want to showcase him not only for him to put himself out there and go, hey, I belong on somebody's team. Maybe not this one because they're pretty stacked but somebody's team but also for us to go here's a trade piece here's a starting pitcher that you can plug in give me some outfield bat so yeah it's interesting uh lambert does okay uh goes three two thirds seven hits only three earned runs and i mean those are the only three runs the Sox gave up that game uh, he only walked one, only had four Ks. Burr then comes in and finishes up the fourth, pitches through the fifth, and Her- Jose Ruiz finishes the game. Uh, the Indians threw Cal Quantrill, which I thought was also interesting. Uh, seven hits for the offense isn't awful uh, against a not-starter but could-go-long-relief guy like Cal Quantrill. I probably expected more uh, in game two of a doubleheader where they they are also pretty warm. They're also probably a little bit tired. We also got the B or C lineup, whatever you want to refer to it as. So I expected more, I think, given that Quantrill was the opposing pitcher. But uh, racked up another 12 strikeouts on one walk. So again, that ratio's... Uh, it's more out of whack than I would like to see, especially given what we saw early in the year. But they go 7 for 27 for a two almost 260 batting average, which given the state of the whole league, 260 batting average is not awful. So, again, you go 260 and you only put up one run. Something something is not clicking and it's 
in a seven inning game, you get 21 outs when almost literally two thirds of those are strikeouts. That's where your gap is at. That's not hard to piece together at that point. I think too that the the league as a whole is at at around like a less than 300 hitter, which was kind of the, oh, yeah. the line for a long time. Um, but the rest of the league as a whole is also hitting more for power, and the Sox team can't decide if they want to be a, a string together runs team or a power team. So when you sit 260. You're striking out a bunch, but you're not hitting for extra bases. You're not gonna score, right? Um, interesting moment in this game. TLR subs Liuri for Danny Mendick in the seventh to lead off that inning. Um, it's kind of twofold that it's not fair to Liuri in that moment. First of all, why Liuri in that moment? You had. Anderson was on the bench, and I believe Collins was still on the bench at that time. So you have a couple of guys that you can figure it out with should you actually decide, hey, we need to bat a guy here. Um, is not a guy that's going to mash, and Collins and T.A. are much better power threats at that point. I get that is a switch hitter, and I think... Tony is probably a little bit too reliant on lefty-righty matchups still. Even though the data tells us they don't really... It doesn't really matter at this point. I think he's still old school enough that he's relying on that. And I think it would be better served for him to stop uh, looking at those things. But that's not to say it's the worst thing in the world. That is simply to say I think that's what's happening. Uh, Given that Leori has looked subpar this season i will say the part that got me was why leury in that moment because if that's what you're gonna get let mendick swing away i don't think leury is that much better of a hitter than danny is the only major difference between danny and leury right now is leury's a switch hitter i think there's something a little bit larger in terms of what's going on either in the clubhouse or behind the scenes which shows itself later i believe so and you'll get to that uh the other interesting part to me there is what an interesting spot to pinch hit right of all the times that tlr has had the opportunity to pinch hit and he didn't and then now in the seventh inning when we've got three outs to work with he bowls leori off the bench to just go, all right, go get him, Tiger. And Leori, for every bit as overmatched as he's looked throughout the year, looked completely outmatched in those at-bats. Now, he's not alone. Class A comes in and goes one, two, three, mows him down between Leori and then Billy and then Madrigal. So Class A came in and kind of made them all look silly. It's the bottom of the lineup. At that point, you're not really hoping for much. I don't know if maybe you bat T.A. And yeah, he's in the bottom of the lineup at that point. But you got to have the two runs to at least keep playing the game. So yeah, it, doesn't, um, it doesn't matter where he ends up in the lineup at that point. That's not right. That's not relevant. It's right. that you need, a, you need bases at that point. So I, I am at least glad that the batters went down swinging. 
Like they all they all looked awful. They looked way overmatched, and some of them looked defeated before they even stepped in the box. So uh, I believe the Madrigal at bat, it just he was just kind of waving out there. So um, you're, you're not gonna win them all. So it, it was just another one of those games, and I've talked about this at least once an episode for I would say the last month, where it just you're only down two runs, but it got to the fifth inning or later, and it just never really felt like they had a chance. Like, they're swimming upstream and fighting it, and then there's just being washed away. And that game, and maybe that's fine. It's game two of a doubleheader. The only issue that I have is it's against Cleveland. So Yeah, I, for, for me, it just continues to be so different than last year where the Sox seemed to score almost all of their runs in the seventh inning. So you never quite felt out of a game. And everything about that has changed this year. So it's it's weird. So the Sox come back then on Tuesday, June 1st against the Indians. And this was to be game three of four for the week. They lose five to six. And it's a Cease versus Bieber game. So you knew things were going to be a little bit tighter in the first place. Uh, the, Sox, the Sox do rack up 10 hits throughout the game, which they didn't all come against Bieber, but in a Bieber-pitched game, 10 hits is pretty dang good. They only had nine strikeouts in the game as well. Bieber did have seven of them, which means the later inning guys didn't strike out that many, which is a, a pretty good sign when the bullpen's coming in and they're not overmatching you at that point. So... And it was much better in the strikeout-to-walk ratio, 9-4 to four walks instead. So much better, in it, indicative of much closer game. And we also felt like we had a much better chance. Uh, Dylan comes out, and he kind of looks like old Dylan sees a little bit. He goes 3 and a third, 8 hits, 6 earned runs, which I think given a normal offense for us, that's not an awful line. I mean, that's what he survived on last year, right? But we, our offense is not normal right now. Our offense is, uh, I would say, sub-average. And so it's it's a line that this is the thing that can't happen if the Sox are going to continue to play winning baseball. So he only struck out two, uh, kind of similar to Jimmy Lambert in not missing a lot of bats. To your point, too, all of that happened so early that the entire demeanor of the team just kind of any any amount of steam just kind of is gone, is lost as soon as Cease has a very Ceasean outing and gets roughed up early. So it's East together offense is kind of how I am viewing it. Yeah, and it's. It's probably made worse by the fact that you came out the day before and you won the opening game of the doubleheader, but what you're left with in your mouth is you lost game two, and I would call it a close game. It's only two runs. And then you come out and you then have the task of facing Bieber on top of that. So it already wasn't going to be great. And then you have Cease comes out and um, it just doesn't look sharp. In that game. So, 
Uh, he very much lacked the ability to miss bats. The numbers indicate that the control was there, but he didn't have swing and miss stuff, which is what he's had as of late. So he only K'd two guys, but he only walked one guy, which is the the single walk tells me he was in control. He just didn't, for whatever reason, have the ability to miss bats. If I remember right, his spin rate was maybe a little bit down, not significantly, but it, it, for a guy that that's his thing is he throws the ball such that it explodes on guys or it misses bats by disappearing and he can't do that, he doesn't have the right stuff. He doesn't have that pinpoint control to survive that. So Visually, visually with his fastball, you see, you can tell with the naked eye if his, if his spin rate is up or not because it tails off at the end. Mm-hmm. And when it's down and he's still controlling it, he's dotting where he wants, but it just doesn't break at the very end one way or the other behind it's called a strike so he gets a lot of those where the ball is coming through and it crosses the like the plane of the strike zone it tails off he still gets some called strikes but guys either don't swing at him or completely whiff at him right because it's got that late life mm-hmm. so he he doesn't go deep in the game he only goes three and a third which is also with the double header the day before not real great for a team that was looking at a long stretch of no breaks. And so Jose Ruiz comes in, cleans up the two-thirds, and then goes for another inning. Burr comes in and gets a full inning done. Garrett Crochet finishes the game up for the Sox. Uh, Burr makes the diving grab, and he'd been pitching really well, and so everybody kind of takes that collective breath of, oh, shit, not now. This is par for the course for the year right he eventually is able to work it off he looks fine gets it done and the game this was a game that it felt for a lot of it that the Sox didn't have a comeback in them it didn't feel like there was no shot like it did the day before it just felt like for every bit of fight they put up it just kind of got stifled and it was super weird considering they racked up 10 hits, right? Like 10 hits, we should feel like we're in this game. But there was a stretch there where it was not looking great. But they gave themselves a shot, which is more than they did the day before. And I can only think of one or two other games this year where we really got into those late innings and actually put together a credible threat. And so... The end of this game kind of ends in, I'm not going to say controversy, but it ends in strife, I guess is the word I'll use. Jose Abreu comes up with the bases loaded, hits a 2-0 pitch to Rosario, and ends the game. He grounds out. Again, bases loaded, he grounds out. So that inning starts with Jake Lamb ripping the first pitch. Rake Lamb, sorry, Rake Lamb. Ripping the first pitch he sees. And then Vaughn flies out on a pretty well-struck ball. Collins singles up the middle on a solid hit. Scores Rake Lamb. Eaton then pinch hits for Hamilton, which is also confusing to me. There was an opinion floating around. Maybe Eaton's okay there. He had homered off Karen Check the day before. 
I still don't think Eaton is batting as hot as Hamilton was at that time. So it didn't make a lot of sense to me. It's, Billy's a, a switch hitter. I think the left side's perhaps... No, the left side's been his better side. So I, I don't... Again, you have had opportunities to pinch hit guys. And for some reason, this is the spot you chose. So it... it as fans, we have no other option than to be, you know, outside looking in. I would love to be fly on the wall for what added up to Eaton in that spot instead of Hamilton. Especially given once Eaton gets on base, he's not he's not slow, but he ain't fast like Billy's fast. So, I and given power potential, I mean, right now Billy's got as much power potential as anybody on the goddamn team. So, Billy the hitter, why are you taking him out? Um, he Eaton comes in and, again, against Karinczak, looks outmatched. It was not a good at-bat. And the strikeout pitch he swung at just kind of looked like he was like, well, this at-bat's over, and just kind of waved at it. So... He K's weekly. Anderson then comes up, singles, moving Collins up. And Madrigal singles, scores Collins, TA to third. So you have TA on third, Madrigal on first. Yoan draws a walk, and that loads the bases. And it was the walk, and then 2 0 pitches that. Didn't look like they were that competitive, and Jose swung. And it wasn't, it, looking back on it, I don't think it was as bad or egregious as I thought it was at that moment. Because my instinct immediately was, he just walked the guy. He just threw you two not terribly competitive pitches. Why do you not take a strike there? And I... I still think take the strike there is the right baseball play. But he chased a low pitch, which is, I think, a symptom of something larger, and I'll touch on that in a moment. But before he walked, before Karinczak walked you on, we have single by Rake Lamb. We have single by Collins. A pretty well-struck ball by Vaughn. Madrigal singles, TA singles. So it's it, he hasn't shown that he's wild to the point where he's he can't be hit. Everybody else, with the exception of Eaton, got a hold of the ball on him. So maybe it's not the worst thing in the world to be swinging there. I still think 2-0, especially when you know you've been pressing, is probably not the right time to do it. But I'm a dude in a sweatshirt in my basement whereas Jose Abreu is the reigning AL MVP. So I can't question him too much on it. But I think I think given the choice again, Jose probably takes a, takes a strike there. Um, I think he's seeing these other guys heating up around him, and he wants to contribute more offensively. He knows the team needs him to contribute more offensively. And so he's gotten, and that's what he's used to doing. He's used to being one of the leading offensive contributors. 
And so in his mind, he's going, I am letting my team down. I need to do more. Uh, another way this was evident came up in the Tigers game where he tries to tag up from first on a fly ball to right center. And it, it just seems like he... I, I don't think it's a situation where he needs to sit down and take a break. I don't think that's going to fix it. I think the only thing that fixes it is... He either A, starts to break out of whatever slump he's in, or B, these other guys around him start heating up enough where they hit an incredibly hot streak where he goes, I don't have to carry us. And it's going to take a, I, it, it might take a double-digit winning streak for Jose to really break out of that funk. So, it'll be interesting. Um... The Sox then were supposed to play on Wednesday, June 2nd. They very fortunately, I believe, end up getting a rainout day. Uh, it was A, supposed to be a day game, B, supposed to be Lance Lynn on short rest, and C, against the Indians. So there were a lot of factors there that I, like Pat Hester, actually very intelligently observed, that maybe was a good day to not play the Indians. We'll save it for sometime in September. I believe it's the 23rd. That's a later White Sox problem. Uh, I think they needed the day off. If nothing else, if for no other reason, I think they needed the day off. Lance Lynn would have come in there and did exactly what he ended up doing to the Tigers the next day to those Indians. Short rest, long rest, that man does not care. Breaking through fences, he's breaking through walls, and stealing your girl is what he's doing. <laughs> Yelling at you first about how you're a slapdick motherfucker, yep. and then stealing your girl. Yeah, so instead we got him on Thursday against Detroit. Uh, went up against Casey Mize, and... It really just ended up being the Mr. Solo Dolo show. Mr. Solo Dolo. The Sox did it all individually with four solo shots. And I believe the one that the Tigers got was also a solo shot. So it was um it was in sync, it was Backstreet Boys taking one of them solo, going and having a great day with that, um, all day long on Thursday. Just as important as each of those home runs was Lynn, just co Lynn continuing to absolutely dismantle batters' hopes and dreams with the, the amount that he is, um, the amount of energy he is putting behind every one of those fastballs. He didn't go up and change anything. He's still pumping fastball after fastball after fastball in, and he is daring people to hit it, just like he did last his last outing. So, um, Nothing changed there. Uh, he did hit us with another slapdick, but he chose to cut it short. I don't know if anybody else saw that, but he turned around and wanted to give it to us again, but I think he's really saving it for a big moment in the future. I just know it. And uh, the Tigers ain't it. No. No, he he knew this was, this was going to be a walk in the park, so he's restraining himself even. Uh, so the end of that one, it's a 4-1 ball game. Hendricks comes in and gets his 14th save of the year touch a little more on him later tonight um and we'll jump into friday uh we have four ga 
games against. So on the Friday games, the second game, we winning that one nine to eight, and and there's just no offense on this one. The uh, solo starts taking some recruits and uh, getting the band back together, as we like to put it. So a couple of home runs from Grindall, which was really really nice to see, is just him continuing to swing the bat a little bit more and more, be more aggressive at each plate appearance, and still keeping his walk rate high. Uh, maybe not quite as high, but still keeping it above average. Unfortunately, just like two home runs from Grandall, the Tigers give us two home runs from Scope, and a double, and a walk from him. He had himself a day, a big reason that they kept it as close uh, as they did, and even looked like they might take the lead at the end when the bullpen did unfortunately implode like they have so often this year. Uh, Eric Haas hits a two-run shot. Can't remember if that tied it up or if that was earlier in the game, but it was. It really felt like a momentum swing for them throughout that game. Um, again, Keuchel only going... Well, he went six innings and only gave up one earned run. A pretty good outing, but I think you even tweeted out during that game that the... He's a contact pitcher, but when contact pitchers start getting hit really hard and you start seeing balls lined into the outfield and, and just short of the warning track or wherever they may be, you start to get concerned about him. And so, yeah. it, for a guy like Keuchel, um, and this idea was thrown out there by uh, a couple of Twitter users that if they didn't go the whole way with it, I actually took it kind of the next step. They presented the idea, but maybe Dallas Keuchel's the kind of guy that maybe you don't go innings or pitches limit necessarily. I mean, you, you kind of got to manage the game in a vacuum, and so you take the game for what it is, but maybe he's the kind of guy that you don't put on a limit in terms of pitches or innings, but rather how many times through the lineup do you expose him? Because that third time through the lineup is what really starts to hurt. And I think that's a great, great way to kind of approach a Dallas Keuchel uh, start. If you get to the fifth and he's looking like he's going to go through a third time in the lineup, that's a good time to pull him. And I, I have a feeling if we went back and looked, that might be kind of what we see. But it, it might be that you don't need to pay attention to the pitches because he's going to throw whatever number of pitches he's going to throw, and he's going to look like he's laboring almost the whole time. So maybe it's a matter of, okay, you're getting ready to go your third time through the lineup. Um, maybe the top half of the lineup's been soft on him so he can try and approach that. But maybe that's what you're looking for instead of, oh, he's at 80-something pitches. Because if I remember right, they pulled him at 85 pitches. And everybody and their dog was going, well, would you pull him that early for? we got a long stretch coming up. Yeah, and he's a competitor. You know he was trying to bargain everything he owns to go back out there for a seventh. But he also probably has a pretty good idea of where his limit is and he does not want to be on the wrong side of going out there and trying to push it and making it so this team doesn't have a chance. I mean, he's he 
he has stepped up as a leader in last into this year and a guy that wants so much as anybody else. So I I think they're gonna get it figured out exactly how to use him going forward. Um remember he didn't pitch most of spring training. I know that was a long time ago, but everything just the in totality his outings since then have been pushed backwards. I think he has plenty of reps under his belt, but I also think that there was a reason that he did not pitch that much. He was injured or not wanting to put stress on the body because he is getting a little bit older. He's not a guy that's going to go beat you with overwhelming stuff. He's a put it in the right place kind of guy. And if he's, if he's not a hundred percent or if he is just um, feeling labored that night, even he's not going to put it in that spot every time. Right. And I, I think too, TLR probably went to him and said, hey, we got a long stretch coming up. I'm going to need you healthy. And Dallas is the kind of guy that he may have pined a little bit to go back out there, but ultimately, A, because he's a leader of the team, and B, because of the kind of guy I perceive him to be. Never met him, so I can't say with certainty. But my my gut tells me he's probably the kind of guy that goes, okay, I'm going to pine for it a little bit because I'm a competitor, but my manager's telling me I'm done. What's best for the team then is that I start getting ready for the next one. And so I'm, I imagine TLR said, Hey, we're going to sit you down. You're good. And he probably went, I I still feel good. And they probably went, Nope, you're done. And he went, okay, cool. That's it. But guess what? Absolutely zero of all of this matters for this game. Because guess who's back? Guess who's back? Back, back, back again. The Erminator's back. Snaps his streak in the best way possible. Gets that single to score Mankata. Go up 9-8. to eight, Finishes that game. And jump ahead to Saturday. Gets pulled from the lineup to rest. <laughs> we had a conversation about that. Yeah. It, it just when the the lineup came out, and no surprise here, but we ended up on opposite sides of the coin for that one. Um, yeah, that's pretty typical. <laughs> I uh, I believe that a guy snaps a streak. You want him to build momentum coming out of that. I can barely admit that there's some merit to sitting him. Then I kind of believe that a little bit. But not nearly as much as you do. So, a a, a fight for a different group chat, maybe. Eh, perhaps. Um, yeah. I. The one thing I'll say is, I have no problem with letting a guy build momentum off of it. I think it's very much dependent on the guy. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Saturday, socks look a little lackluster. Um, look like maybe they were still kind of. Asking in the glow of the night before's win, possibly. Uh, it looked a little bit like they came in like a big boxing favorite and like a David Goliath kind of story. David hit him in the mouth in round one and they never really recovered from it. Because Eric, the Sox killer Haas, it's not one but two more home runs to tally on to um, the series that he had for himself even if it wasn't a great series for the Tigers um, 
basically, one was a solo shot and one was a two-run homer. Basically went out and, and won the game, or at least tied it up for the amount of offense that the Sox were able to put up. Um, that offense was late in the game for once. Jake Lamb doubled, a, doubled two runs in. But because bunting is bad, Mendick gives an out, no, out away. And the rally is not enough to, to finish out the hopeful comeback. And that is, I don't even know. Can we dub that Buntgate? At least, like, I just want some, I want a buzzword. I want to gain some traction for Buntgate because something has to be a shining light on the odd-ass decisions made by our out-of-date manager that continues to ask people to bunt when none of the statistics back it. So, I don't know. Buntgate, are you into that? I. Can we start hashtagging that? Here, <laughs> you're welcome the, to try. The, yeah, is the gate is like the insert ner- name gate played out? I don't know. I, people, we just keep doing it. And people keep doing it, so there's no reason we can't, right? I, well, I say we. There's no reason you can't. I'm not going to dub it that. Yeah, we're going to jump into that together. You go right ahead, and <laughs> you you go ahead and try and start that. Um, if this was like a singular isolated incident then I'd probably be more on board with, oh, it was Buntgate. This is, it's very clearly a strategy at this point. Um, as antiquated or um, statistically... Out of touch? Not, uh, yeah, out of touch. I mean, that's not a, it's not a bad phrase. But as statistically proven as it is that it's not a great idea outside of specific scenarios... Um, it, it's very clearly a thing that he's going to keep doing. And this was, I listened to three or four, or I think it was four different podcasts today as well. Um, while I was going through my work day and I, I'm sitting here going, yep, we're all going to talk about it. Cause it's still a thing that happened in this last series and it's not going away. And if I remember right, that's something that uh, James Feagan talked about in his uh, article in The Athletic today as well. Is It's very clearly not going to just disappear. So get used to seeing it. And so I think it's fair to question in that moment. I think in that moment, given that they needed multiple runs, given that they had, uh, I believe it was Funkhauser who had, or no, it was not Funkhauser. It was, you'll have to look, the name will come to me, but it it was, the guy had gotten like nobody out, and I didn't realize it until, Derek Holland, yes, Derek Holland, I didn't realize it until, I think it might have been Herb Lawrence was talking about it on Twitter, and then they talked about it in their podcast, the dude hadn't gotten anybody out. At all. Like, he'd faced us twice this year and had gotten nobody out. And so, 12 batters have reached base straight against him, going back to last appearance. And you went, here's a free out. Now feel good about yourself. Yeah, get get things rolling there. Right. So, <laughs> the the phrase that Herb Lawrence used that I loved was... Thank you, please. Yes, our guy sucks. Please give us the out. And I 
I literally almost came out of my chair when I heard him say that. It was good job. It was it was good. So, yeah, I if it was isolated, like here's this egregious thing that he did, and we lost the game, and it's the only time he's ever done it. He's never done it before this. I think that would be one thing. But he is very clearly proven this is his strategy. This is his approach. So, Buntgate for me doesn't necessarily apply, but you're welcome to go ahead and try and promote it. So, for all the listeners out there, you go ahead and hashtag Buntgate, and we'll see what happens. Well, I'll be right there with you, listeners. I know Deflategate didn't happen all in one incident either. It was a it was a pattern, and I think we're seeing what's another name for pattern or like a, a way to go about doing something with certain intent would be that strategy that you're talking about yeah Buntgate. i think maybe we just keep collecting some receipts and stop worrying about it so much right now but continue to bring the receipts to all of your mentions on twitter because there's going to be plenty more of them it seems like it's one more thing each week so for, for the and record baseball's a long time. i am not promoting bunting like, let me be clear. I think bunting is stupid. I'm not saying it is acceptable in any fashion. I'm just saying, don't expect it to go away. Because he's going to keep doing it. Richard Nixon continued to do it, too. Even though everybody knew it was wrong. Well, I'm not a crook. Sounds like buntgate to me. Alright. Sox lose that one. It's There's no reason they should have. Um... They were they were on such a roll in that sixth inning that you thought there was no reason for, for it to stop. It was egregious, but on we move to Sunday. Uh, we get good Dylan Cease. Gotta love good D- Dylan Cease against uh, Urania. And the, as good as Dylan was, the offense was still pretty slu- uh, sluggish behind him. Fortunately, he pitched well enough that he didn't need much. Um not having Jose Abreu will do that, though, I think, to this offense, especially that relies on him so heavily, not just as his contributions, but as a, a resource and as somebody to talk through things with. And um, He just is so integral in every facet of the game for them. So not having him will, will end up in some sluggish-looking days. But Vaughn does come in, gets to play first, drives in a run, studs do stud things no matter the situation and he is becoming a stud in this offense uh, I I was very hopeful that that short stint on the seven day COVID list wasn't going to kind of slow him down and break break stride and it didn't show any of that on Sunday so that was good um, right after that Anderson followed and drove in a couple more runs including Vaughn to come around and score and then there was no more offense for the day. All of all of the offense in the game came in the second inning. So any of you um, offense-only promoters in baseball that think that that's the game is no fun because there's no offense would not have liked this one. I'll tell you that. Cease spins it. He looked. He was looking like he had that spin rate we were talking about. Spins it past everyone. K's ten. Goes seven innings pitched, and honestly, it was a really, really economical seven innings for him. A guy that walks a lot of people, throws a lot of pitches, didn't do that. I th- I believe he was close to 100. 
through seven. So there's a little bit of improvement to be seen there. Uh, Today gets finished out with Bummer coming in, Hendricks coming in, shutting it down, packing it up, heading home. Bullpen does their job, and we move on to Toronto. But not the only news. Angle's back. And I think this is something that a lot of people have been waiting a long, long time for. Didn't think we'd be waiting this long. But he came back and showed exactly why those people have been so excited for him to come back. And the first thing he does is come in and have one of his patented, I'm going to rob you of a home run, not just like it was on the edge. No, he reached over the damn wall to get that thing. He's showing you why he was his gold gal- caliber glove out there. And man, is it good to have somebody roam in the center field that's going to offer us that once again. Yeah, um, I I had to watch replays afterward of it. So I was at my my in laws have a they live in a town that has a small town team uh, here in South Dakota, and I was doing the PA announcing for the amateur league, and so I was not able to watch any of it. the uh, The little bit that I did was some scoreboard watching when I was announcing MLB scores in between the half innings, and so. Much to my surprise, I came back to the house and started scrolling through Twitter, and I started to see that. And one of the things that struck struck me was not only was it, here's home run robbery, but it was got turned around, then recovered, and then made jump, reach over the wall, and pull it back. So, I yeah, to your point, not only is he back, but like that's a pretty athletic play. To be back on and I want to say it was the good guys talk back episode they were interviewing James Fegan and I want to say it was their show that they were talking about if that's Billy Hamilton out there Billy is fast Billy is incredibly fast but he doesn't know this park like Adam Engel does and so he probably doesn't make that play because he just doesn't know the intricacies of the field nearly as well as Adam does. Now, Adam could have helped himself and taken a better route to that ball, it looked like. But, uh, who's to say if it wasn't slicing or something like that? I didn't watch the game, I don't know. But, that was a really good point I thought that they made. was If that's not Adam Angle, given our guys, I don't think anybody else makes that play. No, and Dylan Cease was obviously appreciative of it with his hands in the air and waving him like he just doesn't care. Um, Engel did go 0 for 2. I think that is not terribly relevant. He hit the he only had three times through the order. Um, got hit by a pitch for the third one. So we'll see where his offense is in the upcoming Toronto series, and I think that'll be really telling. Is this one game against Detroit in? game where there wasn't much offense to be had by anybody doesn't tell you a whole lot so that's where we are coming out of out of detroit three out of four wins i i figured we would drop one i thought it'd be the first one coming out of that kind of disappointing cleveland series but right of four so i i don't remember i believe if i remember right that 
angle home run robbery also probably saved the game because that was going to be either a two or three run shot if I remember right. I believe it was a, a potential two run shot. So he went over two, but he literally saved two runs there. I don't care about the over two, and that's that's I think if you're going to see the true value of Adam Engel, that's kind of the approach that you're going to have to take is. The dude is going to take away enough runs defensively that, yeah, he's going to struggle at the plate a little bit. He's at a mangle. He's still working on putting it together, especially now that he's didn't ha- he almost had a full spring training and then took a month and a half off. So it's going to take him a little bit. Although he did look pretty good in Charlotte, from what I remember seeing numbers on. So it's you have to have the right mentality if you're going to see the true value. And yeah, so yeah. I, I was just gonna say, um, his offense, like you were saying, has never been the part that everybody's enamored by. Um, although it had it has ticked up a little bit in the last couple of years, I'm trying to find if there's some exit velocity and launch angle stats for him, even just in the last couple of years that he had enough at bats get a good feel of that because i'd be curious just how much he's adopting the kind of the power over over anything else mindset and if he could be a a really big benefactor of that shift that everybody's making because he's never been a high contact guy so if he can just focus on getting that that launch angle up maybe he becomes a relative contributor yeah, I, the tough part is is you have this ball that is very clearly countering home runs, uh, powers down across the league, except for in like the last week. I don't know. It feels like power. They, the calendar turned Memorial Day, and all of a sudden power went through the roof, it feels like. Um, but it, he's offensively i think he's someone that he might continue to suffer just simply based on the way that the ball is behaving in a lot of these parks um it's kind of hard to say what i would love for him to not do is join some of our higher members of a club that uh, is for strikeouts and that's kind of the the main thing that I wanted to look at today, and I actually was pleasantly surprised, I guess is the best way to put it. So we hammered on the socks a couple of different times during this recap a little bit. All of the strikeouts is something that I keep an eye on, because for me, strikeouts are an empty out. And I, it's not just me, but that's that's why I pay attention to them, is... Strikeouts literally do produce nothing. That's why I don't I uh, don't like bunting. I'm not promoting it, but it's at least a hell of a lot better than a strikeout because you at least got the ball in play, made the defense do something. So one of the the big factors in the four three loss against Detroit on Saturday that I I had not paid attention to myself initially and somebody else actually pointed it out a young lady on twitter pointed it out actually and i do not have her name written down anywhere but 
the Sox struck out or had 16 of their outs were strikeouts. And so in a game where you lose by one run and you look at quite literally two-thirds of your outs are empty. They literally produce nothing, no value whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a bigger contributor in my mind than at that moment we bunted a guy. Now, that being said, the moment that we bunted him still looms incredibly large. So... For every bit as egregious as that bunt is, there's still blame at everybody's feet for all of those strikeouts that day. It feels like I have seen a lot of strikeouts. Now, this is a league-wide problem, and so I actually expected the Sox to be probably bottom half of the league in strikeouts. And I was pleasantly surprised because they actually find themselves in the better half of the league in strikeouts. They're 14th with 517 across the season so far. The top in the league is the Houston Astros, followed by the New York Mets. The worst in the league, and this this got me good because the worst strikeout team in the league has 646. They have 130 more Ks than our boys do. And it's the damn Tampa Bay Rays. So the MLB power rankings came out today on MLB.com. You look at that and you you look at a lot of power rankings around. They have the Rays as the top-ranked team. But it blows my mind that they then have 646 empty outs on the season. 130 more empty outs. Now, part of that might be they have a lineup that is more power-centric. Are our strikeouts higher if we have Luis Robert in the lineup? Yeah, I'd say the odds are pretty dang good. He was doing a good job drawing walks, but he's still going to be Luis Robert. But our power numbers are way up if we have Luis Robert too. So I I think there's a little bit to kind of go hand-in-hand there where we're one of the lower-end power teams so far this year. But our strikeouts are at least in check. Given that we had a couple of this last week that were kind of glaring, it says a lot about, on a game-to-game basis, there was the quote from Manichino earlier in the year, right? Where he goes, I told Vaughn, fuck the home run. Just go for average. Right? That's a terrible Manichino, but you get the idea. Uh, I, I think there's a lot to be said because there is an approach there. I think there's still some things game-to-game approach-wise that they need to get figured out. Uh, the first game against Urena was a good example of that. Uh, the Casey Mize game was another example of that, where they need to go in and they need to know what that guy does, right? Urena is a ground ball pitcher, and what did the Sox do that game? Slapped it into the ground repeatedly to the tune of I think they ended five or six innings on ground into double plays. So knowing your opposition, and then obviously you can't just not chase balls low. If he's dotting them in there, you don't really get a choice at that point. But force him to do that. And I think they forced Mize into that a little bit because then they got mistakes. And what did they do with those mistakes? They... um 
They sent them over the fence, is what they did. To the tune of Yasmani Grandal Bat Drops. So, yeah. Yeah, that's so clean. Oh, I just want to watch so... that on repeat. I know. His backswing just basically is already a backdrop. And so he just, the bat falls like a total of two inches. It's already laying on the ground when he comes around. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's so clean. It's so clean. And even given how much I started out by kind of kicking the dog when it's down a little bit on the strikeouts, in the last seven days, the Sox struck out 41 times. So you look at that, and they struck out 16 in the one, and I think it was 14 in the other. That means across all those other games, the five, six other games, they only struck out 11 times. So they're doing well, which in in perspective is good. It, it's really, really good. So Generally, yeah. It, it just... It seems like, and it's probably a chicken and an egg thing, right? It seems like their worst strikeout games show up in the worst possible moments. But that's probably why it's their worst possible moments in their worst games is because they're having their highest strikeout totals. So that kind of goes hand in hand. And yeah, I, I, I think that it's just a part of this team still trying to transition from having a lot of power because you come into this, this uh, season thinking one thing about this lineup as a whole, and then having to kind of just recreate, not just a, an offense, but a style midway through a season or early into a season. And there's still some, some growing pains seeing as, we're, I think, now, what, a third through the season? Yep, we're past the third so, mark now. So, yeah, it's... Um, teams Teams find themselves out until August. It's it's the ones that can, can get it figured out by August. That, like Stone said in a tweet a while ago, just get to the postseason. This team is trying to make sure that happens by scratching out as many many wins as they can. And so, taking a look at the strikeout numbers and kind of breaking that down a little bit, our biggest offenders right now are Yoan Mancata, who, heating up, power's starting to show up. Jose Abreu, who's pressing, but also helps, I think he's, if not top five, he's helping lead the league in RBIs. That's another thing about him pressing, right? He's pressing and doesn't look great, but he leads the MLB in RBIs. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I called it the MLB. He just leads MLB in RBIs. And then he's got 56 and TA's got 49. So your three top power outlets right now are your three guys that have your highest strikeout potential, which is especially in today's day and age, not that surprising. The one that stands out to me is Eaton is right behind TA with 49. That sticks out to me because for the fact that he's had 50 less at bats which means his rate is significantly higher so if you extrapolate that out he'd be at 64 case so he's got on pace as many strikeouts as Yoan Mancata 
but he's not providing nearly that value right now. He is. He started out hot. He right now is not. Is not. And so. He is so. It was an odd single for a long part of this 60 game stretch last year. Like, he would come up and he either would hit a solo shot or get, like, he would bloop a single into right center. So it is so weird to see his strikeouts because he. He generally puts in a good at bat no matter what. Even if he's striking striking out and at the end of it, it's an eight pitch, nine pitch, ten pitch at bat often. So it's weird. It's really weird to see his strikeout numbers like this. And I I very much so think he's still I think he's being hampered a little bit in terms of he banged the knee against the railing at the rate. He had the hammy that he strained against the Cardinals. So I think Angle being back will help because they'll be able to reliably get him some additional rest. Now, he's going to want to play. He's, I think he's 34 now, something like that. So he's going to want to be out there. He might not be that old. Not Tim Tim Anderson? No, Adam Angle. Oh, okay. Or not Adam Angle. Adam Eaton. Oh, Eaton. Yeah, he might be 34. He's an old. He's an old ass man. I thought you meant Tim Anderson. No, no, no. Ta is not that old. No. No. So, and I say 34 like he's an old dude. I'm 32, going to be 33. Like I'm not falling apart, but I'm also not playing professional baseball. Bunch, so, a bunch of old ass men. Uh, tell me about it. So, I think he has some injuries nagging him. The good news is Angle's back. Should be able to help get him some additional rest. And given that our other alternatives are still Leori Garcia and potentially Billy Hamilton when he returns, you're looking at Danny Mendick as really the other guy that you'd maybe be playing. So you're kind of pigeonholed into playing Adam Eaton still some. Plus you signed him for a reason to help lead, right? His OPS right now is 663 which is nearly 200 points behind Yuan's and 150 points behind Jose. So I I could handle his strikeouts being higher if he was slugging higher. We shouldn't expect that from Adam Eaton. But that would make it a little bit more acceptable to me as if he was providing the additional power to go alongside it that we're getting from these other guys. Um, everything I see says that something is wrong with Adam and one of the concerns when he was signed in the offseason was how does he fit the mold of the rest of this clubhouse right you've got a bunch of free swinging chain wearing bat tossing dudes and Adam Eaton kind of fits the TLR mold but TLR also came in and said i don't know you guys you're not gonna listen to i have rings but you're not gonna listen to rings really you guys need to lead the team and i'm gonna be here to help facilitate so and it might just be that adam's not comfortable in this clubhouse yet he's an outsider coming in yeah i so i made this point maybe not so eloquently when i was on good guys talk back by the way, 
I don't know if I've had a chance to say it, but go listen to them when you're done listening to this because they do a really great job. So I made a point about Laori. It was more so about his injuries, but he's also getting a little bit older. When you lose bat speed because of an injury, because of age, it's the first thing to go. It's the first thing to that shows when you start looking overmatched at the plate. And Eaton is kind of that way. Somebody on Twitter, I think, weeks ago, and then he hit like a two-run shot to win the game or something immediately after they tweeted it. But uh, him and Leori seem to do that all the time. It's like they're wa- they're watching Twitter and then they get fired up by it. So keep that rolling in. But they tweeted that a scout or somebody had had made a comment about how Eaton's body had aged a ton just from last year to this year. And maybe that's true, maybe it's not. But if we're looking just at how outmatched some of these guys look at the plate and how how they're not they're not fouling balls off at a high rate. They're not catching up to the, the high velocity. They're not following and tracking these really, really high spin rate p- breaking pitches. It can be attributed to something that they might not get back. It might not be a slump. It might just be their bodies are no longer capable of doing the things that they used to do. And that's really hard for a baseball player to not only come to terms with, but to fight through and still be productive. So his his 34-year-old body is catching up to him. And he's having to be creative and find creative ways to get on base, which he's always done to a degree, but relying more heavily on some swinging bunts and some just kind of slappers to go try to hustle out an infield single and just some of those things. that It just is not quite what we needed out of him, I don't think. Yeah, I I think what we signed him for is the get-on-base dude and keep cranking the lineup around and right now that's not what we have so um that is kind of everything that i thought on the k rate i was incredibly surprised with a where we're at uh b given who's in last place effectively and so i kind of want to get into your topic because i it's going to be interesting. I have some thoughts, and I'll let you kind of take the lead on that. Yeah, so I dubbed Eric Haas is now Eric Socks Killer Haas. Welcome to the club. I don't know what the name of the club is yet, but I'm going to come up with a name for this club. I'm going to workshop that. Uh, it's, the, it's the let one guy beat you club that he is being added to. Guys like... Labor Torres, Buddy Galvis, and now Eric Haas seem to have these series against us where they come in, maybe not the hottest player in the world. I guess I don't know how how well Galvis was hitting all year, but I wasn't seeing him on any any uh, montages on ESPN for all the home run hitters. So to see him come in and have back-to-back days with home runs and to have Labor Torres start hitting home runs and driving in runs and beating us, almost single-handedly on days. And then Eric Haas comes in and hits two two moonshots in the same game to basically tie it up or win it for the Tigers. There's just something about one dude 
comes in each time. And like I said, it's, it's interestingly not usually a guy that is on a roll. It's a guy that potentially the Sox lineup or the, the pitchers, not the lineup, but the pitchers are overlooking, thinking, oh, he's on an O for whatever streak. I don't have to do anything but pump in stuff into the zone, and then they take him, they take him yard. And that just can't happen. I just don't think that – I don't want to believe that that's happening, but I don't know an explanation for letting one guy beat you single-handedly in multiple series in the last month. Um, yeah, nobody should be underestimated, and everybody's a major league hitter that steps up into that bat, and they're there for a reason. So um, I sure hope that's not the case. But fortunately, it hasn't significantly impacted. It's not like they're going and, and winning – causing a split in a series or like making it so we don't sweep somebody it's come at pretty innocuous times the losses that come from it but we'll see we'll see if it is a continued trend i'm making a club name for it because once is a coincidence twice starts to get interesting and three times for me is a trend so they deserve a club name i'm gonna petition for it to be called behind the washer that's where all the lost <laughs> socks go okay um, no, I, it's, as Stone has talked about it before, and it's a very, very, uh, old baseball thing, and it's still very applicable, don't get me wrong, uh, but you, you evaluate that lineup, and you look at it, and you go, who's the one guy that could beat me, and I'm gonna basically pick him out and go, He's not going to beat me today because I'm not going to give him the opportunity. It's very and, Belichickian. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you look at it and you go, I'm going to make all the rest of them beat me, but that guy's not going to beat me because that's your best chance, and I'm not going to allow that guy to do it. And so the interesting part to me is when you look at the Yankees lineup, Glaber Torres is not that guy. You're probably picking out Judge there, right? Labor Torres was doing okay. Uh, Freddie Galvis, absolutely not that guy. I would say the 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 Eric Haas. I would go almost one A on that too. Jonathan Scope, because Jonathan Scope is a very hot in terms of hitting right now, and B he probably hit just as many homers as. Haas did. Uh, Haas's were maybe a little bit more impactful, but Scope is the guy that you look at that lineup and you go, that guy cannot beat me. I cannot allow that. And they gave up shots to him. Uh, one that's not on your list that should be, I think, is Jose Ramirez. And for whatever reason, it doesn't matter who manages the White Sox. They continue to pitch to Jose Ramirez. And I continue to want to put my head through my television every stupid time. Because it's one thing if you have like Labor Torres on the Yankees, because you're already targeting Aaron Judge going, that guy's the one. I'm going to scratch his name off the list. We're not going to pitch to him. He's going to get himself out chasing pitches, if anything. And I would say probably in the Orioles lineup, 
they don't have a lot going <laughs> at the moment. Mancini was probably the guy until he got hit on the elbow and went out with basically dead arm. So maybe it becomes Cedric Mullins at that point. Um, Anthony Mo- Santander probably. Santander maybe. Um, but so then you have Freddie Galvis jumps on you. Okay. Eric Haas is a guy that should not jump on you. and But Jose Ramirez should be the guy. There is nobody else on the team. Like, literally, I think they just take eight automatic outs for the rest of them. So why are you pitching to Jose Ramirez? That's why I didn't have him as part of my club. Is because the rest are not the guy. He is the guy that should be walked every time. If the bases aren't loaded, you... <laughs> you I don't even. And... I honestly don't care if the bases are loaded. Yeah, I, he can't that's, clear them. That's a conversation to be had for sure because he's going to clear them against these socks for whatever reason. That's what I'm saying. It yeah, it just so it can't happen. I added him to the club just to make you happy. I, it's a kind of so. In, in order to get into the club, you have to be not the do right. So I could see where Jose Ramirez hey. wouldn't fit. But he's the only dude. <laughs> I think it matters what I decide to name it. Then I'll it's let him into the club if if it's appropriate. It's true, but it, it does it does feel like that, right? There's always one series or one guy in the series that it's like we're seriously gonna let this guy just either get it started or he's gonna look way better than he typically does, and. I wouldn't be surprised if Glaber Torres aside, because Glaber Torres was heating up at that point, and I don't care how hot Glaber Torres probably was at that point. You're still picking out Aaron Judge and going, "That dude doesn't beat me." Oh. Yeah, and he is. I mean, he's as hot as it gets. I, he maybe has cooled off in the last week or two, but when he came into that that uh, series against the Sox, he was as hot as hot gets. I mean, he. That, that run that he had leading into that is the reason he's going to be an all-star other than people just love him. Right. Oh. So, it, it, I think there's a relax in the, in the lineup, or in the pitcher's mind when they're going through. So I think you did hit the proverbial nail on the head. I think you hit the right point where these guys are guys that are probably somebody in the lineup that's not doing fantastic, and the pitcher goes, I should be able to nail this guy without even having to blink. And for Freddie Galvis, that would be a little bit surprising considering he usually is batting a little bit further up in the lineup, so you're going to see him a little bit earlier. But if you get him out the first time and you're going, he's not hot, he must not have it today, and then you let him get you because you let down because you went, this guy should be my out. Um, a guy like Eric Haas, who's batting, I think, maybe his weight in the year. So those are guys that, yeah, these are major league hitters. I don't care how good or bad they are or aren't. They're on a major league team. So you can't just lay an egg in there and hope it gets by them. Every once in a while, they're going to put it together. They got here for a reason. They're not on the Pirates, so it wasn't an accident. Hey, I picked up I picked up Brian or is it Brett Reynolds or Brian Reynolds? Brian Reynolds. Brian Reynolds. I picked him up this 
this last week, and he's been great for me. So pirates must end here for me. <laughs> um, until they stop playing like a quadruple A team, it's gonna <laughs> continue. Just because you have one dude does not make you not a quadruple A team. Right, he's the only one that can hit for them. So unless he's hitting home runs every time he gets up to the plate, and even then they probably will lose. Yep, hundred percent. So, talk a little bit about this Toronto series and, and who we'll face. Yeah. Let's jump into that. I'll let you run with that. All right. So, on Tuesday the 8th, obviously we're recording on Monday the 7th, the off day for the Sox. That's why we have so much free time to do this, right? Uh, the yeah. Sox will take on Robbie Ray, who is a left-handed pitcher. We're going to throw Rodon. They threw Cease on Sunday with the intention of getting Rodon a couple extra days and throwing him on the opener of the Toronto series. Uh, Robbie Ray uh, this year has been not awful. He's been pretty good. His K rate's up, his walk rate's down a little bit. He seems to have a little bit more command. So we'll see kind of how that game shakes out. The ninth is Wednesday. The Sox have it marked as to be determined. And my guess is that's either going to be Lynn or Dallas. We'll see what happens. The Blue Jays have said they're throwing Alec Manoa. So they'll get the rookie right-handed pitcher. He went out and made the Yankees look pretty silly. I picked him up before that start for my fantasy team. I was very happy about that. Uh, His last start out wasn't as great, so we'll see. He is, his slider's okay. He is kind of a sinker baller. I could see where he might give us a little bit of fits. Um, we might feel a little overmatched there. We'll see. We chase down uh, a lot. So sinker, baller, sinker ballers are hard for us. Right. And we have a really hard time touching sliders. We're not a good slider hitting team. Not that many teams are. Like The league has shown us that this year, uh, especially given the slider spin at an incredible rate right now. But... It seems like anytime we come up against a thumber, we're we're gonna score like one or two runs. And that's gonna be what it is. Until we can get him out of there, because hopefully his arm falls off. N- not Alec Manoa's. I would like his arm to stay attached. Thank you. But other guys, uh, hypothetically, guys. Hypothetically speaking, <laughs> uh, this should either be then the other side of the coin of the Lynn or Dallas chip so we'll see it would be fifth day of normal rest for giolito however or it would be the fifth day so he'd be typically starting that day given that or i'm sorry on the 10th thursday the 10th that would be either the other side of the coin that would normally be a lucas giolito day so that's the thursday game um they're going to be up against Hyunjin Ryu, so this feels like a danger game to me. This could be the difference between a. It could be the difference between a series win, or being swept. I feel like, and that's that's not really based on a whole lot. We don't have much that we can go off of with Alec Manoa. Um, Robbie Ray has looked better-ish. He's a lefty. We could come out and mash. We don't have those same guys on the team that mash lefties right now. So 
I think that Sox Optimus tweeted out, I think we can retire this. I, I'm actually in agreement. I think those days are kind of behind us now. So, Kinjin Ryu comes out, is also a lefty, but he's their ace for a reason. And he's one of those guys that he's going to move the ball around a lot. And so, for me, this is a danger game. This is, if I had to pick one where I feel most confident that we are not going to win, I have a feeling it's going to be that one. Some of it's maybe going to matter who pitches. If we throw Lance Lynn out there, we might be okay. If we throw Dallas out there, uh, I could see that lineup taking him deep for a number of home runs. I could see him going four innings maybe. Uh, You throw Lucas Giolito out there, Lucas has been okay. He hasn't been ace, top-notch Lucas. He's been eh, pretty good Lucas. Against that lineup, I could see where Ryu keeps us down to two, three runs because he usually gives up one, two, three runs. But I could see that lineup hunting change-ups and punishing Lucas. Lucas is still pretty good top-tier pitcher, so I think he'll find a way, but it'll be interesting. Yeah, I this Blue Jays team is a hot team. I think I believe they lead the league in home runs. Last I'd I checked, have to double they, check, but yeah. Last, last I checked, there. they they were the league leaders in home runs hit. And so they they they're hot. Eventually they will kind of come back to earth, uh, as most teams do. But right now, you're not wrong. This whole series could be dangerous, but that game against for you, he's exactly the kind of guy that, like we said with Manoa, a um, lot of breaking stuff, a lot of pinpoint accuracy, a lot of making guys chase. So it's going to be one of our toughest tests to date, I think, is this series. Yep, I agree. I Manoa we can get after a little bit. I don't have as much confidence with Ryu, so... The Blue Jays series is in town in Chicago. I say in town. I'm in South Dakota. They ain't coming here. You're in Nebraska. They definitely ain't going there. Um, the Blue Jays series is in Chicago at the rate, and then the White Sox travel to Detroit for a weekend series, and all of those pitchers are to be determined, so we'll see what happens. With that being said, I my final thought, my... I guess closing thoughts perhaps uh, we dissect specific pieces of this team. We dissect a lot of pieces of this team and as fans, we hammer on them, but also as fans, I wanted to take a second to remind everyone that it's okay to take a moment to breathe. And I was reminded of this by many of you out there in the Twitter verse um, and in the podcast verse that as fans, we all live and die by how this team does. Some more than others. Uh, I'm a father of four. I'm 30-something years old. I have White Sox baseball, and then I have everything that my kids do. So that's kind of what I have in my life is White Sox baseball and then everything the kids do. So when they win and lose, I'm kind of living and dying by it. But that being said, it's... It's okay to take games off. I announced on Sunday. um, I know you've been doing various things around the house, things like that, Matt. 
So don't be afraid to take a game off or two <laughs> as fans. The Sox entered this series against the Jays four games up on the Indians. They have the third best record in baseball. Both locked on Sox, Sox on tap this last week mentioned it. Shout out to James Fegan on Twitter for diffusing some of it as well after Giolito's start. I wanted to echo this because I believe it's a really good point. Don't let the losses cloud your judgment on this team. For as every bit as much as Matt and I are going to dissect them, as much as you want to as a fan, tear them apart to make sure that we get the best that we can get every single day, there are many, many, many good things happening around this team. So take time to enjoy it because it's been 20-something years since we have some have had something like this to enjoy. Uh, I think it's like 12 years. I might have exaggerated. But take the time to enjoy it because it's been a while. And if we come into next year after Rodon walks and goes and signs with the goddamn Yankees and our offense looks mediocre again, we're going to look back at this and go, "This that was a really good year. And if we don't take time to enjoy it now, that's all we're going to have left is looking at looking back at it going, well, that was a good year. So if for every bit as much as we're going to dig deep on the negative side of things, uh, wise men have said things are never as good as they seem, but they're also never as bad as they seem either. Yeah, I, I want to echo kind of that same sentiment with my – my last thought here is I'll skip a little bit ahead to it. It's it, we need to make sure that the compliments that we're giving are just as loud as the criticisms that we want to give every part and every person on this team and maybe even some other Twitter people that uh, interact with, but make sure that you are enjoying things and, and giving credit where credit's due. And, and my guy, I think that I want to highlight is Hendricks. Um, guy just needed some work he needed some opportunities and needed some outings and he wants those he i think he even had a conversation with rick Hahn at one point said to said to han nobody's ever had five saves in three days and han said you're never gonna do it either so uh he's he wants to go break records he wants to go compete um my my compliment to him that i want to make sure is loud by you Nate and by all of our listeners and if by some act of God Liam uh, Liam you're a crazy mother effer you're insane but you're a beast so keep going out there and looking to break, uh, break all those records my guy with that said I agree I mean the dude goes out there and he sounds like yeah. me out there on the field but he's louder about it uh, thank you once again everyone for listening to those of you that have been listening since the beginning thank you for sticking with us for those of you that are new welcome to our podcast uh, we hope you enjoy um, a little bit about us we don't live in Chicago we don't live in Illinois never have uh, we just happen to be super big fans so uh, we're hoping that we're just like you just from a little bit further away uh if the platform that you listen on allows for ratings and reviews please do us a favor and take the few seconds it takes to leave one 
I know every show asks you to do this, and it really only takes a few seconds. It would be a great way to support us. We don't have sponsors. We don't run ads, as you've now noticed, because you've listened to this entire podcast, Sans Ads. Uh, We don't have a Patreon. All we ask from you is your time and a review. So, good luck to the Sox this week. Let's hope that they come out and they steamroll a good team in the Toronto Blue Jays. And let's look to stomp on throats when it comes to the Tigers. Uh, And I guess last thing I have to say is go Sox.